0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Marquia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Deep in the jungles and waters of China, the Philippines, Japan, and other parts of the Asian Pacific lurk demons beyond the imagination. The few who survive the encounters endure horrible flashbacks and struggle to stay sane enough to tell their tales. But the one thing that remains consistent with all their stories is that absolutely no one is safe. First, death comes at night, followed by hidden tragedies of war. Then... Fear on a college campus. Finally, in our featured story, Murder in the Water. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? No one is safe. When our expectations of adventure are too high, it is difficult to imagine that the worst is yet to come. Like in this story, inspired by Marceline. Amy was an exceptional college student with big dreams to travel the world. Her senior year presented an opportunity to travel abroad to China, the country where her great-grandmother had been born. Amy would live in the dormitory with one Chinese student which would help them both improve their language skills. Upon landing in Harbin, China, Amy already regretted her decision. She had had a terrible flight, got lost on her way to the campus, and the place itself had very bad vibes. She met her new roommate, Hua, who was petite and a little timid. Both students could speak just enough of the other language to ask where the bathroom was, but that was about it. They met their school liaison, Leon, and quickly headed to campus. Leon spoke both languages perfectly. She explained that their dorm room had some plumbing issues and they were going to be moved to one of the older buildings until further notice. Of course, Amy thought. Add it to the list of things gone wrong they would have the older building to themselves because it was marked for demolition in the next few months. When they arrived, the building looked outdated, but overall nothing to worry about. They entered their room and began unpacking. The silence was deafening. Neither of them could really communicate and the rest of the building was just empty. As it was late in the evening and they were jet-lagged, they crawled into their beds and turned off the lights. Within a few minutes, the pipes were echoing. Then the floorboards creaked. Perhaps it was just the age of the building showing, but the racket made it hard to sleep. However, they both eventually dozed off. Around midnight, Amy was startled awake from the piercing sounds of breaking glass. As she sat up in a shot, she found Hua standing next to her bed. Ominously, she stood there, her hair long and in her face, silent, her hand bloody with shards of glass sticking out. Amy attempted to ask her in Mandarin if she was okay, but there was no answer. Hua began to sway side to side. Amy wasn't sure what to do. She repeated her question to no avail. Hua began to hum underneath her breath. It sounded like the noise that was coming from the pipes. Amy grabbed her phone and dialed Leon's number while reassuring Hua in English that she was getting help. Hua began to roll her neck around and it made an unnatural, breaking noise. Amy reached out to Hua's arm. It was freezing to the touch. Just then, Leon picked up and said hello. Something's wrong with Hua, she said. Hua's growl grew audible, and in a thick Mandarin accent, she spoke slowly. I can't understand you, Amy said but Leon heard Hua clearly. Leon instructed Amy to get out of there immediately, screaming on the phone in a nerve-wracking tone Amy had never heard before. Looking into Hua's eyes, they turned black. Instantly, Amy sprung from the bed, pushed Hua out of the way, running out of the room, down the hall, and out of the building. In what felt like an eternity, Amy finally arrived at the university's main entrance, where Leon met her. Amy noticed the woman was trembling. As they both looked back toward the old dorm, they saw Hua free falling out of the dorm window. The two were silent, in shock. Campus security arrived, and as Leon and Amy tried to explain everything, Amy asked what it was that Hua had said in Mandarin. Leon, still shaking, said, Evil lives here. Death awaits you. Except it wasn't Hua. It sounded like someone else speaking. The security officer explained the reason the building was being demolished wasn't to make room for an athletic center like they were initially towed. Instead, it was because there had been over 30 suicides in the building in the last decade. Within two weeks, the building had been completely destroyed. And also within two weeks, Amy was back in the United States foregoing any travel abroad for a very, very long time. Thank you so much, Marceline, for inspiring this Travel horror slash campus horror story. How about you, listener? Would you be so brave as to travel to a country where you didn't know the language? How would you deal with witnessing something like this, something so
0: horrific? What are some of your coping mechanisms? Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In the throes of war,
1: it's important to remember that there are other enemies stalking the battlefield besides the opposition. Like in this story based on true events told to Scott. Dear Marquia. My dad is a Philippine Naval Special Command Operator. He has told me a lot of stories from his experiences, but this one I'm about to share still gives me nightmares. In 2017, the Philippines was at war within itself. For five long months, the country fought brutally. The country split in half with everyone picking a side. The Philippine army were fighting against a militant group and each side was heavily armed. Everyone that joined the fight knew the possibility of dying was high, but they joined anyway. Towards the end of the war, during the Siege of Murawi, a group of young Filipino soldiers in the Philippine Army were slowly making their way north, seeking safety after losing a battle. While en route, the brush was thick and ten feet tall, the humidity unbearable. They couldn't see two feet in front of them and their peripheral vision was just as blocked. But they stayed united and made their way slowly through the rough terrain. As they proceeded, they would occasionally look up at the stars to make sure they were headed in the right direction. Moments before reaching the property line to where safety would begin, everything changed. Suddenly, they heard insurgents coming As the group hit the ground and began to army crawl their way as fast as they could, one lone soldier became separated from the group. Aldo, the youngest of the troop, tried to catch up but was disoriented. He began to panic, but he couldn't call out or he would be found. The brush began to move all around him. He felt it was the insurgents closing in, with the smallest amount of hope left. He rolled over onto his back to check the stars one last time. He prayed that the stars would show him that he was somehow safe across the border and among allies. He closed his eyes, wishing, and then opened them up toward the sky. But what he saw above him was worse than falling into enemy lines. Hovering above him was an enormous dark creature. It was a large flying animal Similar to a pterodactyl, its wingspan must have been 15 feet wide and it stayed roughly 20 feet above the ground. The wind it created with each flap was enough to blow all the brush down around Aldo. It was as if there was a spotlight created for Aldo, all so the monster could observe this human. But as Aldo looked closer, the face was human. Human skin. Eyebrows and dead eyes peering back. The half-breed lowered itself with its wings inches from Aldo's face. Aldo trembled as it stared into his soul. As Aldo looked back into the creature's eyes, something else absolutely terrified him. His reflection was upside down. That's when Aldo realized his fate was sealed. Everyone in the Philippines knew the old tale of the Aswang, a shape-shifting creature that sees its victims in an upside-down reflection right before it attacks. While most of the stories had been folklore, it always ended the same, a bloodbath with no survivors. As it all sank in, Aldo went for his weapon But just then, the Aswang took his talon and ripped into Aldo's chest. The monster began eating Aldo alive before Aldo got off a few close-range shots. When my dad found Aldo, he was barely alive and half of his body had been devoured. He told the story of the creature to my dad to warn him about this much deadlier enemy roaming the battlefield. It was something my dad would have chalked up to the delirious hallucinations of a man on the verge of death until he found one of the creature's talons embedded in Aldo's chest. My dad has had many people inspect the talon over the years and no one can seem to place any particular animal known on this planet. My family knows the is real and now you do, too. Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing this experience with us. Would you have believed Aldo's story if he had told you? Have you ever seen a creature so horrifying as the one described? Tell us about it at snarl.com. Sometimes safety in numbers is only an illusion, and sometimes, the more you believe in it, the more people die. Like in this story inspired by Anonymous. Many universities in the Philippines are on land that used to belong to churches. Thus, several colleges were built upon old cemetery plots. So there is an unwritten rule that students, while on campus, keep to a curfew. Off campus, they can stay out as late as they want, but while on the school's property, everyone knows to not be outside after dark. Night classes aren't even offered due to the unspoken fear. Last year, at a university in Manila, a small group of five business students were working on a class project in a conference room inside of the library. But as it sometimes happens, the students were in a flow and crushing their assignment. Everyone was building off of each other and the energy was high. For an assignment that should take a week to complete, this group was about to finish it all in one night. Then, as the momentum began to slow, one of the students was staring at the clock on the wall and gasped. It's 9 p.m., they announced. The color in all of the students' faces drained. They looked around the library and no one was there. The only light was coming from their conference room. Anyone who worked there would have left hours ago and must not have noticed that there were still people there. Some suggested that they should just stay put, that they'd be safer just camping out for the night there. One of the students, Merkit, tried to reason with everyone if something was going to happen it would have already they should all just quickly make their way home so as not to get in trouble her opinion swayed everyone else so together they grabbed their belongings and headed toward the glass doors at the entrance they stood there and looked out upon the grounds there were three dormitories nearby that they all lived in but they quickly agreed they would all stick together and just head to the nearest one the one directly in front of the library, and sleep in that dorm together just to be safe. They only had to walk 50 yards. They opened the doors and began the fast pace toward the dorm. Merkit was laughing at how ridiculous they must look. Her demeanor changed when a chill shot through her body. The wind was blowing, and each of them kept scanning all around them. As they approached the halfway mark, The wind picked up even more. They now reached out to hold tightly onto each other. With only 20 feet to go, as their eyes squinted to try to see the dorm entrance more clearly, a black entity appeared, blocking the doors. They were stuck. They couldn't turn back as the strength of the howling wind was keeping them in place, staring into this darkness, clinging to one another. The wind picked up again. Almost a gale force, now pushing them toward the doors, towards the dark spirit. They tried to strategize with each other, screaming as loud as they could, but their voices were muffled by the wind. The blackness grew larger, and with arm like tentacles, it enveloped the entire group in one swoop, and then there was nothing. The security cameras were on and had footage of the event. The five students walking across the lawn, steps away from the dormitory. But in the recording, there was no black mass, no great wind. Everything looked relatively normal. The security tape skipped right at the moment the evil wrapped itself around them. And when it went back to the feed, all five students were gone, disappeared. There was nothing else to investigate. The disappearance was never solved. But since that night, all the classes on campus were finished by 4 p.m. and all the buildings had a security sweep every day by 6, ensuring that no one would be walking the grounds after dark. Other students have said that on the windiest of days, even when the sun is still out, as the wind howls, they can hear the screams of the five students their final cries before the darkness of the night took five more souls to the grave. According to Anonymous, this is a true story. How about you, my dark darlings? Would you be sure to stay inside after dark? Or do you think maybe you would be that one lucky survivor? What warnings have you been given about a haunted place but you visited anyway. Whether you're feeling in love or feeling helpless, when you let your emotions get the better of you, you won't see the danger lurking right before your eyes. Kamika was a beautiful young woman who was only held back by her shyness. So when Takeshi... A classmate to her when they were little and now captain of the soccer team asked her out. She was thrilled, but beyond nervous. Their hometown of Kyosho, Japan had many romantic areas, but none as popular for high school dates as the secret beach. And that was exactly where they were headed. The secret beach was very picturesque, but private because it was forbidden. A lot of trouble seemed to occur there including a few people who had recently gone missing. There were rumors that a creature known as the Nuri-Ona, a huge sea snake with a human head, claws, and vampiric tastes, might be the cause. Kimiko was scared of the old legends, but she was far more worried about looking cool in front of Takeshi. Embarrassed to be nerdy enough to even know the stories, she decided not to put a damper on the mood and kept it to herself. The date was going well. Takeshi made her laugh about old times as they walked close together down to the picturesque shore. She felt like she could come out of her shell with Takeshi. As they ventured even closer to the water, Kamiko began to become uncomfortable with thoughts of aquatic fiends, but was distracted when Takeshi held her hand. It was a warm day, but as they rounded the bottom of a cliff, it blocked out the sun. The air got cooler, and it got darker. Kamiko shivered, and Takeshi held her closer and began to lean in for a kiss. That's when the screaming began, terrified screams from a woman nearby. Help, my baby, my baby, I can't swim. The couple ran towards the water and found a woman thrashing in the ocean some distance from the shore. With one arm, she supported a baby above the crashing waves. Kamiko was a skilled swimmer and Takeshi a natural athlete, so they both leapt into the raging waters without hesitation to help the mother and child. When they reached the woman, she quickly handed her baby off to Kamiko and latched onto Takeshi for dear life. As the woman caught her breath, Kamiko realized that she was able to stand in the water, which surprised her given her own smaller height. As Takeshi escorted the woman back towards the shore, Kamiko noticed something seemed to be following them. She looked down to see if maybe the woman was caught in seaweed and realized much too late what the woman actually was. That from the shoulders down, she was different. The woman's arms were actually crooked with long black nails that resembled a dragon's claws. Her skin had scales that glittered under the water the woman peered over Takashi's shoulder and stared at Kamiko with a hunger in her eyes. She licked her lips, revealing dagger-like teeth that dripped with drool. Kamiko stopped, dead in her tracks with the stories of the Nuri-ona racing through her mind. She looked down and saw that the baby she thought she held was in fact nothing alive at all, just a homunculus of decaying sea life made to look like a baby. Kamiko screamed and tried to throw the imposter child away from her, but it suddenly sprang to undead life and held on tight, dragging her like an anchor into the water below. She fought against the baby doppelganger's grip, struggling to break the surface. She then felt a serpentine tail slither its way around her body. It squeezed her, slowly crushing her breath from her. Her eyes followed along the tail until... She found Takeshi struggling with the rest of the monster. Its claws were embedded so deep in his skin that she couldn't see any trace of them. The snake-like tongue of this gruesome creature was buried into Takeshi's throat, acting as a straw as it slurped his blood. As the coils of the monster tightened, the fake putrid baby fell away from Kimiko. She realized this might be her only chance to escape. With no other option, she bit as hard as she could into the monster's flesh, causing it to loosen just enough for her to make her escape. Takeshi's eyes met Kamiko's, and with the last of his strength, he began to choke the Nuri-Ona, keeping it occupied long enough for Kamiko to breach the surface and gasp for breath. However, before she could dive back under and try to rescue Takeshi, the tail of the Nuri-Ona whipped out knocking her backwards into the strong waves that then washed her back to shore. Neither her crush nor the monster ever surfaced, and the one shy woman knew that she would spend the rest of her life hunting this murderous cunning beast, out for revenge against the Nuri Ona. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markeia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Dennis Culver. Narration by Markeia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman.